outline, wave your hand there. Brother Brian will get you uh, a copy. And uh, Revelation chapter 3, and I hope that we can finish up uh, the letters to the churches tonight. Uh, We are on the last letter. Last week we got the introduction to the letter of the church of the Laodiceans. This church was addressed differently than any of the other churches because the Laodiceans had done some things to make this their church, not as Jesus had intended it for to be his church. And he addresses them as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning, the source of the creation of God, A lot of hyperbole and rambling and muttering and all kinds of other strange things about being hot or cold. And the thing is, when we think of hot, we think of one extreme, we think of cold, we think of the other extreme, and we think of lukewarm as being in between. And... uh, I've heard sermons preached, the only thing in the middle of the road is roadkill. Don't be the middle of a road Christian. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here. Because he says, I would, my desire is that you were hot or you were cold. Now, has Jesus ever desired someone to be spiritually cold and unserving of God? That's not Jesus' character. What we need to do is we look at this passage, hot and cold. Let's not get too wrapped up in what hot and cold are yet. We will in just a moment. But what Jesus is saying is hot, fine. Cold, fine. Hot and cold are equal. He is not condemning. So he cannot be talking about the level or the temperature of your spirituality. Hot things, how many of you like hot coffee? How many of you like iced coffee? How many of you like lukewarm day old coffee? Okay, you got it. It's worthless. It's worse than worthless. It's sickening. And Jesus is talking about the service of the church. Now, we could go through and there's some good verses the cold of snow in the time of harvest. Now, how many have ever been involved in a harvest? Okay, I didn't think we'd have any here. Um, just to give you a, a little idea, my dad, we, I did not grow up on a farm. My dad did. He thought his sons ought to, even though we didn't live on one. And uh, how many of you have ever seen a bushel basket at the... Uh, supermarkets, about this big around, about that deep, uh, we would, on a normal year, probably get 25, 30 bushels of potatoes. We would come up with, uh, you ever seen those big quarts of fresh tomatoes that they say look like home canned? Well, they don't. Uh, But we would come up with anywhere from 150 to 200 quarts of tomatoes, probably over 100 quarts of peaches, uh, a 
23 cubic foot freezer. That's the coffin size, big, you know, great big one, uh, full of corn and other frozen vegetables. And that was a normal year for us. Harvest was a time that you worked hard. And that is not like harvest was in the Bible times because how many of you would survive if you had to grow and reap all of the food that you would eat during the winter? Not around here, my friend. In fact, I don't believe in TV. I don't recommend it, but they did a special a few years ago. They took three families and stuck them in the wilderness, and they were supposed to chop wood and grow food and do like our pioneer forefathers did. All three families flunked the test. Uh, Not a one of them would have had enough food, enough wood to keep warm, enough uh, material spun to do the work that was necessary to survive a winter. Harvest is a wonderful thing. But I'll tell you what, if you could just have a big glass of water with a good old-fashioned January snowball floating in top. Can you imagine that being out in the field? The cold is good. Hot things are good. Lukewarm is unusable. This is what he's talking to his church about. He says, your works are worthless. Now, here is what led to the worthlessness of their, of their works... Verse 16, so then because thou, I mean 17, because thou sayest. If you remember, we spent most of our time last week. The church at Laodicea was judging themselves. How many times have you ever done something and said, that is good enough, that is excellent. My teacher is going to love this paper. And it comes back with blood all, I mean, red marks all over it. The teacher did not like what you presented. How many times have you walked past one of those food lines at those buffets and saw something that just looked absolutely incredible? You said, I'm going to get a lot of that stuff and found out that it was, oh man. Has anybody else ever had that happen? I mean, I like all kinds of food, but every once in a while I'll find something that's just like, wow, I can't believe somebody actually set this out for human consumption. And yet, let me tell you, the restaurateur or the person preparing the buffet did not put that there because they thought it would be awful and make people sick now, did they? You see... They were evaluating themselves and passing themselves. Jesus said, you flunked the test. They also believed that they had finally gotten to the point to where they did not need the Lord anymore. We are rich and increased with goods. We have need of nothing. Now, I don't know that I've ever heard a Baptist preacher say that. Because if you believe the Bible, that can never be true. But the Laodiceans thought it was true of them. 
Everything was going fine. Now, Jesus says, here's how you remedy that lukewarmness. Verse 18 is where we're going to dig in tonight. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now, there are three things he says I want you to do. I want you to buy gold. How many of you listen to the radio? Buy gold. Uh, Every other commercials, buy gold. Jesus said, I want you to buy it from me, not from whatever company is on the radio. Amen? Uh, Listen, he said, I want you to buy a special kind of gold. He said, I want you to buy gold tried in the fire. Now, how do we buy gold tried in the fire? Well, let's just let the Bible explain itself. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. If you don't know this verse, it's one well worth committing to your memory. 1 Peter 1, 7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying here is, your faith, when it is tried with fire, when it is tested, is worth much more than gold, is going to be found to the glory, the praise, the honor and glory of Christ at His appearing. Gold in the Bible, if we trace it out all the way, we have to be very careful. When you see that substance, it is always used as a term of that which endures, that which does not lose its value. That's how we know that it's not talking about earthly gold. Because earthly gold, the value goes up, the value goes down. It changes constantly. God said, I want you to buy gold of me. Tried in the fire. What does God try in the fire? He tries our faith. How many of you have ever been through difficult times in your service and relationship with God? I challenge you, if you haven't been there, it's coming. Because gold or faith that is not tested is a dangerous thing. When I was a Uh, When my wife and I were first married, I I taught school for one year at the church there in Cleveland, and then I got to uh, uh, become the bus mechanic, and so I was working on the church buses. We had about 16 buses at that time that would go out on Sunday morning and all over the west side of Cleveland and pick people up and bring them to church. And part of my responsibility was making sure those buses did not break down when they went out and picked up the children. And uh, 
But one of the things that I had to be very careful of was as things were replaced, a little bolt is an important thing. And we got some bolts one time that were marked with a certain hardness, but they were not made in the United States of America. And whatever country of origin those bolts had, they did not have the same chart that we did. And so as we would put things together, the vibration, the impact, the, the stresses that the vehicles would put on those bolts as they would go around would break. And I had to go through that whole fleet and make sure that the bolts were strong enough. Because if they weren't hardened the right way, they would fail. And people could be injured or worse. People, we must understand that an untempered faith, an untried faith, an untested faith will not get you to heaven. God is going to try your faith. Why must your faith be tried? You've got to know if it works. Amen? You see, many people make professions of faith, and I mean, who wouldn't want to have Jesus save them? I mean, I have met a few uh, very stubborn, obstinate individuals who just want to have nothing to do with Christ, but I'll tell you, the majority of people that live in this land still want to go to heaven when they die, still want to believe that Jesus is their Savior. And we can go through this room and take testimonies of people who have made that profession, who were baptized, who thought they were saved, and or just allowed themselves to go through the process and later on had problems and doubts about their salvation. Sometimes they found out they had real salvation and they settled that thing. Other times they found out, hey, the kind of faith I have isn't Bible faith. I need to get Bible faith. And they had to discard what they thought was salvation and embrace the true faith of the Scriptures. Amen? Now, when we go through trials and troubles in this life, to whom do we turn to get the answers that we need? Do we get out our calculators? We go see the banker, call up Visa and MasterCard, ask for a credit increase? Do we call our friends and family? Do we look here, look there, say, hey, I'll just get a second job or, or all of these things? Do we look to ourselves or do we look to the Savior? The answer we know is in the Word of God, right? Amen? The answer is in the Word of God. But are we trusting the Word of God when we go through the trouble? The church at Laodicea had the ability to solve their own problems without having to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why their works were worthless. Jesus said, listen, I want you to buy. I'm counseling thee. 
Now, if Jesus gives his opinion and advice on something we ought to do, should we not be getting in line to get it done? Amen? I mean, if Jesus says, this is something that you're going to have to do, okay, your ears ought to be perking up. Your heart ought to be saying, okay, Lord, incline or move my heart, as the psalmist said, to that direction. And to purchase something means you've got to come up with the wherewithal to procure it. Right? Uh, Tuesday night we went down to um, uh, Brother Johnson's church in Brooklyn. Uh, he's pastoring 6th Avenue Baptist and Mount Calvary. They're trying to merge those two churches into one, so pray about that. If you would, uh, that would be a very good thing if that were to happen. And uh, Brother Lou Baldwin was preaching now, that name probably won't mean anything to most of you here tonight, but uh, Brother Baldwin pastored a church just on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. is a very good friend of Brother Larry Clayton. And uh, I was in the process of trying to get an engagement ring for my wife uh, to be and uh, uh, get money to pay for the plane trip out to California so I could give her the ring and ask her to marry me and all of these things. And Brother Clayton called Brother Baldwin and said, Hey, would you let Pete come and play a saxophone in your church? And he's got some tapes. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, but Brother Baldwin said, Hey, uh, I'll buy 50 tapes. At that time, we were selling them. I was selling for $5 a piece. And uh, without that financing, it would have been impossible possible for me to get to California and he said uh, and do all of that uh, get engaged in all of those wonderful things and he was looking and said you know he said that was a good investment if you're going to buy something you got to spend the money don't you you got to have the money to spend now, I didn't know this at the time, but Brother Baldwin bought all those tapes personally. I think they're still in a box somewhere <laughs> in his house. I feel sorry for him, but uh, I'm glad that he did that. But Jesus said, listen, I want you to come to me and purchase gold. I want you to trade in the purchase price for gold tried in the fire. As we look through the scriptures, gold is a picture of the presence of God. How am I going to get the presence of God in my life? By living the word. Right? Even when I'm being tested, especially when I'm being tested. Anybody can believe in God when everything is going right. But when everything is headed the wrong direction, when nothing makes sense, when you're looking at things that you don't understand that are far bigger than you are, that's when your faith is being tried. This is your opportunity to buy gold. That's why James, James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your what? Faith 
worketh patience. Is there anything in this life that is more valuable, more precious than patience? Can you buy patience, my friend? You can't buy it. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Does that sound like the presence of God in your personal life? And everything that we do, we do because it is God that is doing the work. And if it is God that is doing the work, it is not you doing the work. It is God fulfilling his word in your life. And guess what you're getting? You're getting a dependence upon God for what you need. Gold tried in the fire. But you have got to go through the fire to get the gold. How many men and women have given their lives in the pursuit of gold of this world that loses its value? I hope no one in here buys Bernie Madoff's new book. Somebody said, well, don't you want to know how he did it? No. I don't want to know anything more about that guy. I wish they'd just get him off the airwave and lock him up and shut the door. Somebody said that he says, oh, I feel better than I ever have in my life. I have no major decisions to make. Uh, maybe you should have thought about that before you stole all those people's money. I mean, it just, I have no time for someone so full of nonsense. Amen? You see, Samson is the picture of being without gold in the time of testing. Read Judges chapter 16 and verse 20 after he had Uh, disobeyed God repeatedly. He had finally shared the secret of his strength with Delilah. She brings the barbers in, shaves his head. He gets up, shakes the hair off of himself. And it says, he wist not. The Lord was departed from him. That's the exact opposite of having gold tried in the fire. If you want to purchase that gold, you've got to come by Jesus to Jesus and put your faith on the line. It's got to be tested. As it is tested, you learn that obedience to God's word is not you. It is God that is doing it in you. And that is how you purchase that gold that's tried in the fire. And if that sounds like a very simple process, then I haven't done a very good job explaining things. It's not complicated in the sense of complexity, but it's not easy. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your will, your desires, your ideals. But you see, that's why the church at Laodicea was lukewarm because they were full of themselves. Jesus said, come, buy buy of me. I'll sell it to you. But it's got to be gold tried 
with fire. Amen. And so the other thing he said, I want you to buy from me. He said, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Now, we look further in the book here, uh, Revelation chapter 19. Let's just go there and look at this verse. Revelation chapter 19, we get all the way to the end of the book. We're not going to hear too much about the church, the saints, between Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 19. And we come here and let's look at verse 8. It says here, uh, and let's read verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is what? The righteousness of the saints. How are we going to buy that white raiment? How are we going to purchase that? It says that that fine linen, clean and white, is the righteousness of the saints. And we refer to this point oftentimes, what have you done for God this week? Of course, the answer is, I didn't do anything. What has Christ done through you for his glory this week? Now, I hope you can put something in that one. Because that's how we purchase that white raiment. We could go to many other passages. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when it talks about the works being tried with fire. Uh, and those things that are not gold, silver, precious stones, those things that are wood, hay, and stubble are all going to be burned up, are they not? It talks about those that are even going to have the garments spotted by the flesh. It says that if we want that fine raiment, we have to go to Jesus to get it, Because righteousness does not belong to mankind. Righteousness is something that belongs to God and God alone. If you're going to have righteousness, you have to get some from God. Are we right? That's what the breastplate of righteousness is all about. The armor of God. How how is your heart protected? It is His righteousness that protects me. I have talked to many people and they said, Pastor, you don't understand. The world is just full of temptation. And you know what? It is. That is 100% correct. The world is full of temptation. But you know what? There are some things that just don't tempt me. I don't walk down the liquor store rows and look at all the bottles and wonder what that filthy rat trap trash in there tastes like. 
I just never have been there. I don't want to go there. I don't stand there and look at it. I don't stand out behind the cigarette counter and look at all those things and say, wow, that looks really neat there. We wonder why we're tempted. It's because we spend our time in the middle. We walk down the aisles of temptation where everything is for sale and we wonder why we're tempted. Right? We allow things to happen. If you have a problem with temper, you know how it works. The steam builds up pressure. You say, I've got to vent somewhere. And some poor, unfortunate slob happens to walk up and pull the trigger. Boom! I mean, the volcano lets go and the lava flows and they get burnt to a crisp and they don't know why. Well, you've been walking around holding this all in to the point and you were just looking for someone to give you an excuse. Uh, That's not buying linen from Christ. If we're going to buy that linen, we've got to walk in His righteousness. Uh, There are just some verses that I don't think if I preached on them every Sunday, I could bring forth the real message of the verse. And one of those is Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Let's just take a moment and go there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul is describing this very thing of obtaining the righteousness of Christ. He says, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, Jesus has got a hold of me. I am saved. But I'm going to spend my life and my effort trying to apprehend that very thing that already has me. In Jesus Christ, the moment I get saved, God looks at me as if there was never a sin on my account. I am perfectly righteous in Christ. Amen? That's what we mean by eternal salvation. But, I still live in time. And I must pursue today the righteousness of Christ. And you know what happens? We fail. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's get up and keep moving. Don't quit. If you're going to have that linen that will cover the shame of your nakedness when you stand before God, if you want that linen, remember what he said about the church at Laodicea, 
that it was wretched and it was miserable and it was poor and it was blind and it was naked. And he said, if you want to solve this problem, you got to buy me gold tried in the fire. you got to buy that white linen. It Righteousness belongs to me. You've got to come and get it. A total dependence upon Christ for everything. Do you think things would be different when you go to work tomorrow morning if you were depending upon Christ to live the Word of God when you get there? Well, then let's do that. Amen? That's how we purchase that righteousness because as we walk in the right path through the power of God, He covers us with His righteousness because we are doing right, but we're not doing right through our own effort or our own accomplishments. We are doing right through His effort and through His accomplishment. That's what wasn't going on in the Laodicean church. That's why they were lukewarm. They were useless because they were accomplishing nothing. They counted for Christ. Then he tells them one more thing. He says, I want you to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you can see. Now, I wish we had time to go through all of John chapter 9, but how many of you remember the story in John chapter 9? The disciples asked Jesus, who, did, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did he sin or his parents? Now, you talk about a dumb question. How could he sin and cause himself to be born blind. But you see, people believe in things like that. How many of you have ever heard the term karma? Has bounced around. You see, that is the fatalism of God. Buddhists are Calvinist. They are fatalistic. They believe that everything is predetermined. By the way, they're not only Calvinistic, there are a lot of other things. But what we have to understand here is there's no such thing as karma. There is a law of reaping and sowing, but you will reap what you have done. And remember, who suffers because of other sins, the guilty or the innocent. The innocent always suffer until God's judgment. Then the guilty will suffer for their sins. Sometimes they never do in this earth. They will in the world to come. You let God take care of that part. But Jesus said, no, he was born blind so that the glory of God could be manifest. And this ignorant, uneducated, blind individual who was a beggar, who had no income and no ability to help himself, they did not have handicap workshops and uh, Social Security and SSI and disability and all of the things that we do. If you could not provide your own work, you starved. And so he sat there doing the only thing he knew to do was to beg. And people would give to him, and that's how he would get his daily substance. Let me tell you, it wasn't very good. I promise you that. 
he met Jesus and Jesus opened his eyes. But that was only the beginning of his problems, now wasn't it? They wouldn't believe that he was blind and had now seen until they called his parents and checked his birth certificate. Said, is this your son that was born blind? Said, that's our son. He was born blind. He sees. But don't ask us how that all happened. Now, do you think he told his parents that Jesus healed my eyes? Oh, I believe the text tells us that he must have because they said they weren't going to openly speak of Jesus because the Pharisees had already agreed that if anybody confessed Jesus as the Messiah of the Jews that they were going to be excommunicated from the synagogue. And eventually this poor man gets excommunicated from the synagogue, cast out, never allowed to worship in the temple at Jerusalem again. And Jesus finds him and says, do you believe on the Son of God? And Jesus, he says, who is he? Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And he falls down and worships him. And Jesus makes a statement. He said, I've come that those who are blind can see. And I've come so that those that see are made blind. There is no one as blind as someone who thinks they can see. Hmm? I mean, it was easy for me to figure out that I could not see. How many of you have ever seen that biggie at the top of the chart? You know, the one like this big? Well, it just disappeared in the fifth grade for me. It didn't take me long to figure out. Uh, by the way, that qualifies as legally blind when you cannot see the big E at the top of the chart at 20 feet. But, praise God, my eyesight is correctable to 2020. So I put in my contacts or put on my glasses, and guess what? I can see. Now, if I wanted to argue that fact, I'll bet I could cause an awful lot of trouble driving down the BQE at rush hour if I chose not to wear my corrective lenses. In fact, the state of New York foresaw that opportunity and they put right on my driver's license. Must wear corrective lenses. They said, the, the lady I was taking the test, I had my glasses on, said, take them off, try it, just try it. I said, it won't work. I said, just try it. So I looked down in there and said, what do you see? I see a little light at the end of the tunnel. She said, put them back on. Oh. Now what do you see? Oh, yeah, I see E and E and E. And I, I, oh, okay, you pass. Listen, Jesus is telling the church, he says, you're blind, but you think you can see. See, as long as you are willing to trust yourself. The love chapter, what did Paul say? We see through a glass now darkly, but then face to face. The most dangerous person in the world is someone who thinks they understand it all. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, we call them politicians most of the time. 
Oh, we're going to solve this problem. How many times have you heard that from the present administration? Scares me to death. Hey, why don't somebody wake up and say, we got a problem? Right? Then we might be able to look clearly to solve it. Jesus is telling this church, you better get some eye salve and smear it on them eyes. I don't know if you've ever had to put salve in your eyes. But I'll tell you what, it is not a pleasant experience. Because it just kind of gets in the way. You can't see. It burns. It makes your eyes. My eyes are watering just thinking about it. I've had to do that in the past. Oh, there's nothing more unpleasant than having to put salve in your eye. Can you imagine holding the tube and squirting this glue in your eye and then putting a patch over it? But uh, if you've ever had a corneal abrasion or anything like that, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, It is not a pleasant experience. And by the way, while you're waiting for the salve to heal, you can't see anything through that eye. But if you will put the salve in and put the Band-Aid on and allow the healing process to work its way through, when you're done, guess what? You can see. If you do not... How many remember the story of, uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Braille, the young man who developed the writing. He was playing in his father's leather shop and took a big needle and slipped and ended up inserting that needle into his eye. An infection set in and soon he lost both of his eyes because of the infection. He developed the Braille reading system so that he and others like him could learn to read. God does not offer Braille for the spirit. He offers healing because he can do it. How many of you remember, some of you might remember the first time you came to this church, you thought we were all crazy. Now you think like we do. See, God did some healing. Amen? This is what is being spoken of here. He said, get that eye salve and put it on your eyes so that you can see. And uh, we're not going to finish Laodicea tonight. But we have to understand something. We will never see nor understand everything clearly unless we're looking to Jesus. Amen? That's the writer of Hebrews, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There are many things that Jesus never designed for you and I to understand. Uh, Could you allow Jesus to carry the burden of that thing? And allow him to give you direction, even though it makes no sense to you. Because we need to just be obedient to the word of God. You know what God's plan? Let's just talk about missions for a moment. God's plan for missions 
is for His people in His church to give, to pray, and if God calls them out, to go. That's God's plan for missions. You can't improve on it. You can't expand upon it. I talked to a fellow just a little while ago, and he was telling me about this big plan that he has for a business that's going to make... He, he claims that once he gets this thing going, it's going to, he's going to realize profits of a million and a half and more every year. And he said, all those profits are just going to go into church plan. And I hope it works. I really do. And I'm not here to criticize that kind of... I'm, I'm glad he has that kind of ability and foresight. But let me tell you what God's plan is for missions. It's for his people to give a dollar here and ten dollars here. And maybe the Lord will bless you with a hundred dollars there. But it's for God's people to give through their local church God's way. That's how missions gets done. You say, but that's not very much when you talk about a million and a half dollars a year. Hey, our entire budget isn't anywhere near that. I mean, we're talking, if we took every penny that went through the church, we'd be talking very small percentage of that. But if I want my faith tried in the fire, I got to do it God's way. When was the last time you had to test your faith to put something in the offering plate for missions? Well, let's go get some of that gold that's tried in the fire. Amen? When is the last time that being obedient to Jesus Christ took divine effort to get it accomplished? Let's get some of that white linen. When is the last time you did something just because the Bible said so, whether it made any sense to any other living human being or not? Let's get some of that eye salve and smear it on them eyes so that we can see God's way. This is what he's talking to his church about. Because if it's by you, for you, through you, it's not of God. Therefore, it's lukewarm. There is supposed to be some effort expended in this thing called the Christian life. That's why Jesus said, I counsel thee to buy of me. And I'll tell you what, I can't preach these words without being convicted in my own heart and soul of some things that need to be changed. Because I don't want to be just dependent upon God for what he did on the past. We've got to be dependent on God for what he's going to do today. For what he's going to do tomorrow. For what he's going to do in our church. The Laodicean church got satisfied with their own efforts. And if there is anything going on today, let me tell you, that is what is going on in Christianity. Laodicea. Don't. It's not a church age. 
Well, we just live in the lay of the sea and age, Pastor. That's, that's where we are. I mean, that's what all the commentators say. Well, throw the commentators away. Amen? Most of them are dead and in heaven and know better. And the ones that didn't make it, well, they know better too, but it's too late. But we're alive. We still have the opportunity to go to the seller and purchase that gold. We still have the opportunity to purchase that white linen, that white raiment. We still have the opportunity to get up and get our daily Bible reading schedule out and smear on the ISAB. Amen? I'm not moving until I get at least one amen on that point. We've got to get into God's Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to buy that gold, to purchase the white raiment, to put that eye salve on. Lord, to allow your Word to make us uncomfortable, to expend the effort to come up with the purchase price being tried in the fire, being totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. Lord, please, we ask that you would allow our church and the individuals in this room tonight to heed your counsel to the church at Laodicea. Lord, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Lord, we ask that we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we say amen...